Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Consulting Fuse interview with experts. We have our first episode right here, or first interview, I should call it, with our very own Tim Conley. Uh, Tim, how you doing? I'm doing great, Dr. Woods. <laughs> Shouldn't you have a doctor or something like that, too? No, no yeah, Reverend. You can call me the Reverend. <laughs> Reverend. <laughs> All right, Reverend Conley. <laughs> it's nice to have you here with us. Um, this is our first in, in hopefully a long series of expert interviews where we talk to people like yourself and other consultants, and we talk about various topics. And I think for us in this one, we're going to start off with something that you've called mind management, which is the secret to success. And it's a huge topic, and it's a big and important topic, too. A lot of what we've done so far has been how to training, and I think a lot of the threads in the community and a lot of the discussions in the community have been focused around how to and getting started and all these uh, real-life components, but real life also happens inside our minds, inside our heads. Tim, you and I have talked about these kind of topics a long time and many, many times, and you always have something good to say. So you call this mind management and the secret to success. And I see in our notes here that we're going to talk about the five pillars of mind management. What do you have to say for yourself, Reverend? <laughs> Where do we start? Well, when we were trying to come up with how we were going to go about the interviews for Consulting Fuse, I said, you know, I'll volunteer to be the first one because I want to kick it off with talking about the real key to success. All this training on how to sell and how to build funnels and, and all the technical stuff of doing consulting is nice and all, but most of success is all in your head. The things that you say to yourself, the things that you do, the actions that you're taking, and the way you perceive the world, all those things add up to whether or not you're going to succeed. Now, why is that, though? One thing that I can see or saw with myself and also notice in other people is it's very easy to get overwhelmed, right? You have all these tasks you need to do. You know, the list of to-do things just <laughs> expands and grows exponentially, and overwhelm seems to be a very common feeling. But how come our mind plays such a huge part of it? I figured, to me, my default mode is just, well, let's just get to work and do something as opposed to sit around and think. Well, that would be nice, right? But very few people actually do that. I've been saying for years that business is simple. You find somebody who has a problem, a desire, and you find a way of fulfilling that for them. You either get rid of their problem or you give them the desire they're after, and they pay you money for that. That's business. And people complicate it from there. And a lot of it is people's social standings, the way they were raised, things that they believe about themselves, the things they believe about the world, the things they believe about money, capitalism, whatever it is. It's all these things that aren't even real. They're not moral, immoral. They're amoral. Most, most of the stuff that we're all worried about is neither good nor bad. It just is. But we make up all these meanings of things in our head and that stuff either propels us forward or it holds us back. And by changing the way we manage our mind, it will affect all the outcomes that we want in life. We will either get closer to our goals, or if we do poor mind management, we'll get further from our goals. Okay. So the five pillars then, the five pillars of mind management, and I'm going to read them off real quick and then we can you know, dive into them. Belief, 
self-talk, willpower, energy, and action. And these are the five pillars that you consider to be those <laughs> crucial aspects of somewhat managing your minds. And I'm going to guess also managing emotions, managing energy state, managing thought process, and so on. It's a big word, management, in terms of what you manage. But belief, let's start with that one. Let's start with belief. What is it about belief? And you touched on this already. But what is it about belief that either propels you forward or keeps you back? First, before I do that, I'd like to say why mind management. Yeah, right. Because like so many things out there are about managing your time, your productivity, managing all these other things except for the root cause. Let's come up with a hack. Let's come up with a productivity hack, a time hack. Let's come up with something, right? As opposed to going to where the root of all this is, which is in our own heads. So we need to learn how to manage our mind. I've always been really attracted to Buddhism and particularly Zen Buddhism and the particular meditation of Zen Buddhism and how that's about calming the mind. But that's great for relaxation and everything, but not so much in productivity stuff, at least in, in my experience. And being able to calm the mind and then get to the thing we want that is what mind management is. Because otherwise, especially like in my head, because I've had this whole life of being known as a, a, a hyperactive child, and so it eventually became known as ADD, and all the nonsense that goes on in my head, and I know that it happens for everyone, and then having it magnified in my own, and knowing that if I'm ever to get anything done, and get it completed and accomplished. I have to learn how to control all that chaos going on inside my mind. What if, and this this might be putting the, the cart for the horse, and we'll probably get into this, but to me, it seems like if you have if you have a hard time calming your mind, you're dealing with a lot of stress and negative self-talk and negative beliefs, where do you even begin, though, to kind of control that or manage that? It's just how far can you go before it's too late, <laughs> if you know what I mean? Like, nothing in terms of nutcase, you know, nothing about that. But sometimes it seems to me that helping yourself is not always possible or even that viable. Yeah, that that's like that idea of you can't give yourself a great haircut. Uh, we We really do need help on a lot of things in life. That That's why people asked us to create consulting fuse in the first place a community of like-minded people who are going through the same shit everyone else is going through, and we can help each other out and support each other when going through the, these tough times, when we have this inaction, when we have a limiting beliefs, when we have poor self-talk or even abusive self-talk, and then the times when we just don't have enough willpower to do the things we know we really should be doing. Because of all these other mismanagement of our own energy, mismanagement of our self-talk, our belief systems, things like that, that when you start adding up all these things together, they form who we are. And sometimes we just need someone else to be able to point some things out for us, calm us down, talk us through it, talk us off the edge, right? And to keep us from self-medicating, which could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be eating, it could be over-exercising, whatever it is that you use as your self-medication of choice. Sure. When we can use the help of other people, that can get us 
past some of the problems that catch 22 of, well, I've got these problems and I need some help fixing them, but I can't do it by myself because I've got these problems. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right? (laughs) You talk yourself into a circle. Uh, Well, all right, then Reverend Conley, uh, let's start with belief. What is it about belief that is crucial and important for managing your mind and your state and your emotions? First thing is to realize that most of our beliefs are bullshit. (laughs) That's the first thing you've got to understand. Most of the things that you believe in your life were taught to you by other people that they didn't even know why they believed it. So certain things like believing in gravity, like most things that are like scientific fact, easy to believe in to the point where you don't even have to think about them. You just go about your day. You're not worried that you're going to fly off into space, right? Gravity works. You don't even have to believe it and it works. So facts are things that whether you believe in them or not, they are. But our beliefs, the things that we think about ourselves, the things we think about the world, how it works, most of that is just made up. Someone else made it up or to a very small extent, we made it up ourselves based upon the interactions we've had with other people and the environment since we were babies. And we end up with this cacophony of belief systems that some help us. And some of them don't, and some just cause chaos in our own head. How can you make sure you actually interpret things right, though? And how can you make sure that any bad beliefs you have, how do you unmake them? (laughs) How do you unbelieve them? Unbelieve them, right. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so the first is to determine whether or not the belief you have is helping you or hindering you. To find that out, you have to actually look at what it is your, your results are. If you have a belief about not liking to sell, it'll show up in your business by the fact that you don't have any customers. <laughs> yeah. Right? If you don't want to call up a prospect and talk to them, then you've got some limiting beliefs about selling and you probably have a limiting belief about rejection that you're going to talk to this person and they're going to reject you, reject you to your very core. And unfortunately, that's not how humans behave. We all think other people are thinking about us, but they're not. And having raised a daughter, I've had to explain to her over and over again, where she was all freaking out whether or not people are going to like her or they're going to make fun of her for anything. Like when she first started getting pimples and and she's like, oh, people are going to make fun of me about that. I'm like, no, they're actually going to be bothered by their own pimples and they're going to be afraid that you're going to make fun of them. They're thinking about themselves just like you are thinking about you. Yeah, And so we have to understand that if we are not getting the results we're after, then we have some belief that is telling us not to go that direction. Mm. It could be something from your childhood. I guess in this particular kind of call, I will get a bit personal, like having a, for myself, having a father that told me I was worthless, lazy, I would never amount to anything. That got ingrained in my core. Even though I didn't want it to, it made me very angry to be called all those things, but I had self-worth issues for most of my life. 
And every so often, they still creep up. Self-worth issues come in. And I'm like, oh, do I even deserve this? Do I deserve the things I've gotten in life? I feel like an imposter sometimes. And all because of certain things that were said to me when I was a child. But how aware are you of those beliefs, though? Because it seems to me that beliefs go so deep that you operate based off them, but you're not always conscious of them. That's how you can tell you actually believe something. You don't have to think about it to do it. Because if you say, I believe in whatever, but then you actively do the opposite of it, or you act as if it doesn't happen, then you don't actually believe it. There are certain belief systems where we just don't even think about. That's how you know they're completely ingrained into who you are. If you have self-worth issues or, you know, self-esteem and all that stuff, if you're having those issues and it shows up where you're not accomplishing what you want, you didn't even know this was happening until you sat down and consciously thought through it, then you understand that that is a real belief. Okay. So what kind of beliefs do you actually need to propel you forward? Because everyone is different to a degree, obviously, but there's got to be some commonalities in terms of what successful people believe about themselves and don't believe about themselves. Right. So to manage your beliefs, the first thing you got to understand is you're probably not going to ever get rid of your core beliefs. They are basically your DNA, your mental DNA. All those things that got ingrained in your head when you were three years old, two years old, they're still there and they're not going away. So instead of fighting to try to get rid of them, you try to replace them with better beliefs. Mm. When I have an imposter syndrome issue come up and I start feeling like, oh man, I don't really deserve the success I've gotten. Then that's when I go back through my life and I start uh, using self-talk to reinforce all the successes that I earned. The things that I did, I took action on and that I got rewarded for and I am worthy of those things. Okay, so what you're saying is that you manage your beliefs with self-talk, which is a, a second pillar that right. that we have. So self-talk and what, you know, I'm assuming that means what you say to yourself when you're alone or <laughs> because I'm assuming you're not going to walk around in public and go, I am awesome. I deserve everything that I can get. Like it does, you know, the practicality behind it is it looks like what, what does that look like? We all experience it. You know, that voice in your head and maybe there's multiple ones. Yeah. You should only be concerned if they start talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> they are always there. They're, they're ever present. I think it was like ego, super ego, and your id, right? I think that goes back to, is, is that Freud who came up with those or Young? I can't remember which one. Yeah, either one of those. And so there's this element of us because they were basically trying to say those voices in our head, they're not really us, but they are us because we have our consciousness, the thing that we think with, and used to interact with most people. But then there's always this voice in our head. Sometimes there's multiple ones, but there's always a voice in our head that is telling us something. You can do this. You can't do this. Who do you think you are? You're going to knock them dead. You know, uh, things like that. The things that we say to ourselves are like this internal cheerleader or denigrator. They, they're either helping us or they're hindering us. And they keep us company. We all have it. And it's not anything about being crazy. It's just the way we're wired. We have this internal dialogue with ourselves. And the words that you say 
will either propel you forward or they'll hold you back. And a lot of people go right to the negative talk. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah, they say bad things to themselves. They either call themselves bad names, and sometimes they're saying the exact same things that were said to them by their parents, other authority figures in their lives, or they're coming up with new ways to put themselves down. And then there's other negative things like, oh, you're not going to be able to accomplish that. Or they start thinking, well, I don't even want to do the sales call because the guy's not going to buy anyways, so I might as well not even call. Because he doesn't have enough money. He doesn't have – it's like you don't even know all those things. There's there's absolutely no way that you could know that without actually talking to the person. Yeah, he doesn't so, need my help. He already got this figured out. Or like I can't do anything for him. Or you know, yeah. the budget is out of scope. Blah, blah, you know, it's just all these reasons you, you tell yourself why something won't succeed. Right. And then if it actually doesn't because you've just talked yourself out of it, but then you actually go ahead and call, but you're not in the zone because you've been saying negative things to yourself for the last hour before you called. And then the person goes, yeah, we're going to go with someone else. And then your brain says, yep, knew it. I knew this was going to happen. I told you, I told you. And look, he said so. He rejected you. I told you he was going to. And then other people, what they start doing an hour before the phone call that they need to make is they start saying all the reasons why it's going to work. They start listing off the people they've helped in their lives, and they're going to be able to help this person too. And if a negative thought comes in like, oh, I don't think they have enough money in their budget to hire me, you start thinking, well, maybe they don't have enough money right now, but we can start on something with them and we can move upwards until they actually can afford me, right? Yeah. The people who are succeeding are telling them, they become their own cheerleader. And there is a necessary willpower needed to get yourself to do the right self-talk. You have to be conscious of it. You have to then take a mental action to change the words you're using. Because as soon as you start changing the words that you're you're using, you get excited. Like, before I go to the gym, man, I don't want to do it. I'll go on and on and on and on about not wanting to go to the gym. But as soon as I get to the gym and I start going... I'm working out and everything. I'm like Rocky Balboa. Dun, 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 dun. You know, I'm all that. And just like this switch just flips in my head. And now I become my cheerleader instead. What works for me is if I can start being that cheerleader ahead of time. Man, you can't wait till you get to the gym because once you start getting to the gym, you're going to you're going to start feeling better and you're going to feel better about yourself because, you know, you're going to tone up and you're going to be like, ah, yeah, dude, you look great and you feel great and all this stuff. And so I can start being a cheerleader to get myself going to the gym. And then when I get in the gym and start getting the endorphins and everything kicking in from and the adrenaline kicking in from the exercise, then I can really become a major cheerleader for myself. It sounds like that happens incrementally. I know with myself, and maybe you can either confirm or deny that this is true for you too, but if I have to use a lot of my willpower at any given moment and overcome a huge mental hurdle or block or whatever, I fail more often than not. But if I do it incrementally, as in like build myself up to something with self-talk to manage my beliefs and use that willpower and spread it out, that works better. You know, I have more chance of actually continuing the positive self-talk and reinforcing my positive beliefs 
Right. As opposed to just not doing anything for a long time and then having to overcome a huge mental block or mental hurdle that I made up in my own mind, you know? Yeah, that's why with like willpower, the next pillar in of mind management is most people think because it's called willpower, right? That they think that it's like this limitless source of energy. It it is not. <laughs> willpower is weak. It's weak in everyone. And it can become stronger like a muscle. You can exercise it. That ends up becoming discipline, right? If you exercise willpower over and over and over again, it actually becomes discipline. And then eventually it becomes a habit. And then once it's a habit, it's a part of your belief system and you don't need willpower anymore. Right. And it's a gradual change. At first, things require willpower. And then eventually... If you do them long enough, then they just become a part of you, and they, at some point in there, you no longer had to exercise willpower. And the best way to think of, like, willpower in its duration is that it's like a sprint. It is not good for marathons. If you need willpower to keep you going for months on end, it's not going to happen. It cannot do that on its own. It can get you that first bit of energy, the first spark of action. That's what willpower can do for you. Then it's up to you to use self-talk to keep it going, to start becoming your own cheerleader because your willpower is going to start to wane. And the longer it takes you to become a certain way, to become a different person, the longer it takes, the more willpower you need. And we know that it's just not going to last. Willpower will not last a long time. So we need to start supplementing it with our self-talk. We need to become our own cheerleader. And if that's not helping enough, if we can't drum up enough self-talk for ourselves, then we need to start hanging out with people who will supplement it and be our cheerleader, be an accountability partner, because their willpower, they don't need any willpower for you to do something. Yeah, and we all know this, right? Yeah. People love to give you advice, oh, for right? Sure. Yeah, because <laughs> they don't have to do it. So accountability is great because they can say, hey, you said you want to do this, and I, know, I can see your willpower starting to wane. Let me be your cheerleader. Let me help you pump up that self-talk. And then you need to carry your own self-talk on until it becomes a part of your belief system. I was going to ask you, though, difference between willpower and like intention. You know, like, oh, man, I'm really going to do this. But that's not really willpower, right? And intention, I hate the word intention, actually. Because I'm more of the fan of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes. Oh, I love that. Right. Thing. Yeah. So true. And so so <laughs> in the self-help world, there's this new emphasis on the power of intention. And most people intend a lot of things. Oh, for sure. But they never do 99.99999% of them. They just don't. They, they have the intention. And intention is so much like wishful thinking. To take an intention beyond that requires willpower. You need a spark. You need a spark to take an intention to an action. Because it, until it becomes an action, intention has no energy. You have to take it to that next level. You have to use willpower as the spark. Belief, self-talk, willpower, and we touched a little bit on energy and action. Where does energy fit into here and how does that feed into action or what feeds into what? Or is it all just a circle <laughs> that goes around as opposed to linear? Oh, yeah. yeah. More like a Mobius strip for the, uh, for, the, for the nerds listening, right? Yeah. Energy is necessary in everything that we do. 
So we all know people like super high energy. I think they're on drugs, right? Because there's no way they can be that hyper and that up all the time. That there's It's not human. They're either aliens or on drugs, one of the two. But we have a limited amount of energy and it flows in cycles. So sometimes we're up and, and we all feel this during the day. Some people have a burst of creative energy in the morning and they get a lot of stuff done in the morning. But then the afternoons, they just completely crap out. And I'm actually like that. So I get a lot of do- a lot done first thing in the morning. And then my afternoons, I'm basically worthless, which carries on like into early evening. And then late at night, boom, I'm super creative again. I should be going to sleep, but I'm ready to get some stuff done. Yeah. That is my energy cycle. Then I get some creative stuff done. Then I go to sleep. I get up. I'm creative again, and then I'm complete crap for the rest of the day. And I used to feel bad about that. Why am I not getting anything done in the afternoon? I must be a loser. There must be something wrong with me. I'm going to go study the book Getting Things Done so that I can get things done in the afternoon. And basically, I was using self-talk to say there was something wrong with me because I was not a productive machine in this industrial system in the afternoons then therefore I was not valuable to my business and to society and to all kinds of things that that don't even make sense, right? (laughs) Had no bearing whatsoever, yeah. (laughs) Right, no bearing upon reality whatsoever. But those are the things that went through my head. And then I realized that, well, my energy is not like this. So why feel bad? If I get something done in the afternoon, fantastic. I don't pat myself on the back to give myself a reward for accomplishing something in the afternoon. I'm not trying to change a behavior. I'm just flowing with my energy. So if I get something done, great. If I don't, I don't feel bad about it because I know come evening, boom, I'm going to be all excited to get something done. Yeah. So you understand you're in an energy cycle and that just, yeah, I gotcha. That makes sense. Right. And again, we have long-term amounts of energy. So over the course of time, I can't remember exactly how the phrase goes, but it's something like we overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term and underestimate what we can accomplish over the long term, which means we assume our energy and our willpower are going to be able to accomplish great things in three days. We're going to completely change the entire world in just a couple of days. And that's not how it works. It never works that way. But we Humans are wired to think like that. I don't know why, but we are. And then we completely underestimate what we could accomplish over a long period of time. That's what makes humans such horrible long-term planners. We're bad at it. We're bad at estimating the future. And we're not all that great at estimating the short term either. <laughs> right. See, that feeds into my procrastination. Like I go, oh, I can just handle all of that tomorrow. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> but then I sit down and to do stuff and it's like, oh, man, <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> it's taking longer absolute... than I thought. <laughs> right. So then we need to work on our energy so that we're accomplishing the important things now that can be accomplished in the amount of time we have. And then we have to learn to trust in the compounding effect of that. Because in the long term, we will accomplish great things by doing the small important things that we can get done every day and focusing on that, like that cliche, one day at a time, right? We take it one day at a time. But that phrase misses one thing. 
the compounding effect of taking things one day at a time. A year goes by, we've accomplished a ton if we've actually been doing it along the way. But what most people do is, like you said, they procrastinate and they say, I can get that done tomorrow. What about tomorrow's work? When's that going to get done? Oh, that'll get done next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> When's next week's work going to get done? Oh, next month. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's right? like it's like the saying, you know, someone else, like the phrase someone else doesn't exist because someone else is always you. Like you're always someone else to someone else. And the same thing with work. It's like, oh, I can do that tomorrow. Well, then other things have to be pushed off and done at another time. So tomorrow, like actually never really happens to you. It's just today. Uh, and you have to deal with what, what's in front of you. And like you said, manage your energy so that, or at least tap into it and understand your energy cycle so that you can take the corresponding action when it makes sense to do it and when it fits in to do so. Um, and that kind of right, leads me to right. that fifth pillar, uh, the action pillar, which we've been touching on a bit off and on here. You have a note here that I saw when we shared the, these notes for this talk. And something stood out to me, which I've made a huge difference for me, which is that once you realize that where you are right now is your responsibility, the actions you took to get there, the choice you made to get there, um, you can actually make different choices to go somewhere else. <laughs> so I think action is a huge part of, or everything we've talked about so far seems to lead up to then the actions you take. So I want to say to whoever's listening, your life is your fault. It is. It's yours. You made the choices to get you where you're at. Yeah, some stuff happened when you were young that were completely outside of your control. But after you grew up, everything you did was within your control. And yes, you may have had some really bad things happen to you. And I've had some bad things happen to me. And I've known some people who have had worse things happen to them in that time period where they had no control over their lives. But when you finally ha started getting control over your life, the time from your teenage years, you started getting more and more control over your life. You become more and more independent. From that point onwards, you started making choices that made the life you have right now. And when I first heard that, when I was told a long time ago that my life was my fault, I was like, no, it wasn't. It was not my fault. It was my parents' fault. It was the school's fault. It was my friend's fault. It was everybody's fault except for mine. And that even led into me being like, yeah, you know, the, it's the government's fault, blaming everybody except for myself. And when, when I was first told that, your life is your fault, it is the sum of all the choices you've made. And at first, I, I hated it. But then I realized how empowering that really is. If all my choices led to now, that means all my choices from here on out will lead to wherever I want them to lead. I can make different choices that may, maybe they won't change my life overnight. It's like you don't get fat overnight, so you're not going to get skinny overnight either. So it, you got to where you're at now. It's going to take a while to get to where you want to be. So if you've made a bunch of crappy choices your whole life up to now... And from now on, you can start making incremental small, cho uh, small choices that take you in the direction you want to go. And eventually, those small steps that you're going to start taking are going to build habits and will build brand new belief systems over time, and you will become the person you want to be. I have to agree, too. Similar to yourself, when I kind of was told that or read that and came across that idea that, uh, you know, my life is my fault and it's my responsibility, much like yourself, I 
rejected it at first. I thought that's ridiculous. You know, there's so many other things that have affected my life that are outside of my control and blah, blah, blah. But once I realized, you know what, but what if I take responsibility for everything? Then what does that do? Well, it allows me to actually do something about my situation. Even if it's technically, and like, if you want to be very nitpicky about it, even if technically it's not, a lot of things aren't necessarily my fault. But if I just act as if it is my fault and as if it is my responsibility, then it is empowering because that means that I can also do something about it. Because if it's not my fault and if it's not my responsibility, well, no one else is going to come and fix it for me. Exactly. No one else is going to come and do all the things I need to do for me. The only one who's going to do it is me. So for me, when that clicked, it changed a lot because all of a sudden I went from no empowerment and no responsibility and no action and no movement forward to saying, you know what? Sure, even if not everything is actually truly my fault, whatever, it doesn't matter. If I just say that it is and if I take that responsibility on myself, then there are no limits to what I can change and what I can do in terms of the rest of my life and turning things around or creating a new a new situation for myself that I'm happier with, right. you know, when it comes to work or life in general. Right. So, so that's the thing with beliefs. Like you said, they're not real. They really have very little bearing upon actual reality. So things that happen to us, so we, we can't control that. A natural disaster happens. Oh, was it your fault? No, it wasn't. But what you do about it is, and the way you think about that will either be a limiting belief or an empowering belief. And by taking responsibility for everything that happens in your life and saying, I own this. And yes, it, I may have not started it, but I'm going to finish it. And that gives you power over your situation. It gives you power over your life. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a lot of power. Just a little bit of willpower nudge you in the right direction and it will compound over time. Action is actually outside of your mind, right? but they work in coordination. There's that saying, I don't even know if it's really true or not, but they say, you know, if you're sad, make yourself smile and it will affect the way you believe. And I've used it with doing sales calls. People can hear a smile on the phone. Yeah, definitely. So I would make myself smile. I mean, I was like terrified. They're going to reject me and they're going to hate me and and they're not going to buy and all this stuff. But I'd smile and that smile, they would hear it over the phone and they would respond to it. So our external actions, which end up in whatever results we get. And like I said before, how do you know if a, a belief is truly limiting? Look at the results it gets you. Yeah, right. So that's why action is so, so tied to mind management. And one of the things that I don't do enough of is visualization because you can visualize your actions before they ever happen and it makes them powerful. It makes them easier. It makes them makes your body feel and your mind feel as if it's already happened. So a lot of the best salespeople, a lot of the best sports athletes and basically the best of everyone visualize the actions they're going to take and the results that they're going to get. And they visualize the perfect result over and over and over again. All the actions, all the steps necessary to gain a perfect result, they visualize them. So when they go to do it, it's already been done before in their head and it becomes simpler. It strengthens your energy. It draws upon your energy and kind of feeds back on itself so that it gives you more energy. 
And it makes that limited amount of willpower that you have more powerful in the moment. It also, when you visualize the perfect outcome, it's hard to talk negative about it. Because as soon as the negative talk comes in, you're no longer visualizing the perfect outcome. So then it also allows you to, you go, oh crap, look, I just started saying negative things about myself. Oh, so let's get back to focusing on the perfect result. And it keeps those negative feelings at bay. And then eventually, by visualizing over and over again, over time, like I said, it's a compounding effect. It's not going to happen immediately. It will alter your beliefs about yourself and the things that you can accomplish. Because then what happens is when you do take an action and you do get a positive result, even if it's a small one, you get a positive result or you at least interpret it as a positive result. Even if you get turned away by a prospect and they say, no, I'm not going to buy from you. If you interpret that as a positive thing, then it will compound as your brain will say, yes, you did accomplish something good today. And that means you're good. And that means you're good at what you do. And it will continue to add and it will alter your belief system. Yeah, I'm going to say one of the biggest switches for me that was super helpful was taking a rejection as actually a positive thing instead of a negative thing. It used to be for me that, oh man, you know, the more people rejecting me, to a degree I take it personally, but it would also mostly play to my fears. The fear of not making enough money, the fear of not being able to provide for myself or, or people in my life, or it just fed to the fear completely. But can't remember exactly when that switch happened for me, but Along the line, as I was working with, with being a consultant and so on, uh, having that switch go from, you know what, a rejection is a bad thing, switching over to a rejection is a good thing, it helped tremendously. The fact that you can't identify when it happened is what I was talking about. It's a compounding effect. Exactly. The change, you won't notice it because it will now be a belief and, and you will not be thinking about it. It will just be the way things are. Yeah. And you, you won't be able to go, yeah, I wonder when that actually happened. And then you could maybe find a particular call that you made one time and you took a mental stand after being rejected. Right. For me, I, I remember being coached by a really good salesman. And he said, because I was, I was suffering hard from the whole rejection thing. He's like, are you competitive? I'm like, yeah, I'm very competitive. I like to win. And he's like, use that. Use that competitive nature that you have and say, I'll show you. You turned me down. I'll show you. I'll go get the next guy. Exactly. The the next person I talk to is going to buy from me. I'll show you. And that really helped uh, tapping into my competitive nature. And for some other people, they have a compassionate nature. And tapping into that compassion. Yeah, that that person didn't buy from me and I don't know what's going on in their lives. And that could be the reason why they said no to buying the product. They didn't say no to me. They were saying no to themselves because what I'm selling is a win for them. So they can't see that. And so they use their compassion to turn a no into a positive outcome for themselves. Yeah, I, I tend more towards the competitive side because to me, like, <laughs> it's funny when you mention it, like, yeah, if someone turns me down on a 
proposal or whatever, then my immediate reaction to that is, okay, I'm going to show you that you were wrong and that you should have gone with me because no one else is going to be able to do as good of a job as I can and you're going to regret it. <laughs> right, it sounds right. almost harsh, but at the same time, it's okay, I'm going to make you regret your decision to not go with me. I'm going to you know, kick ass for the next person who's going to work with me and, and you're going to see that and you're going to regret it. They'll never yeah. see it. You know, they'll never find right. out, but in my but, mind, but I'm like, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what happens. So, depending on what your nature is your first tendencies, you can use that as the motivation and the positive self-talk to go do the next one. For some people, motivational music, that's why everybody like uh, Rocky Balboa, right? The Eye of the Tiger and the Rocky theme song, those things are still used today by people going to the gym or doing sports. And, and even I even know guys uh, right before they walk into a meeting are playing those things in their head. And I had one uh, from the Foo Fighters. I can't remember the name of the song, but it's got the part and it says, done, done, on to the next one. I'm done, 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 on to the next. And and I would chant that in my head. As soon as I walked out of one meeting, I was on to the next one. I was done and I'm on to the next. And and I, it, it becomes part of your cheerleader routine because you've got to get yourself pumped up. If you want to succeed, and I keep referencing sales mostly because people are so afraid of it and have such a problem with it, but this is success in anything. If you want to succeed at something, you've got to be your own cheerleader so that you can get yourself over the really hard parts. Because your willpower just will not stick around long enough to get you there. So you have to use the other parts of your mind to get you to the place you want to be. Speaking of music, I have a playlist of like news that psychs me up or whatever. One song that I've been into lately is uh, Phil Collins in the air, in the air tonight or something like that. And like it's very slow in the beginning, but then at some point in the middle, it just there's a drum break that just and it kicks me into gear each and every time like i i'm I'm sitting there getting ready for work you know opening my computer play the song a little bit opening up my email and then as soon as that drum kicks in i'm like man let's go close some deals you know let's go make stuff happen for my client let's get it done you know so that that reminds me like part of the action which this is like a sub part of that and that's routine there is liberty in routine If you can develop routines in your life, then you don't have to think about them. Because if you force yourself into a daily routine, a routine that happens before you make a sales call, before you do your work, your best work, you get yourself into a certain state. And that requires a ritual that happens every single time. Yeah. Now, I actually prefer the word ritual to routine because it, uh, because there's some something very sacred to this because it will get you what you want and it'll help you build the habit of success. So have a morning routine, have an afternoon routine, have an evening routine, have a routine that you use for a sales call, have a routine you use when you're uh, going to sit down to do whatever it is that you do for a living. Have one that gets you into the right state of mind. I'm glad we got into that and tying that with the action. Like you said, I mean, I use the word routine, but ritual makes perfect sense too. Having a morning ritual, I do have that. I have an evening ritual too. Um, You know, the first one is to get me into the groove and into the mode of of working and business and uh, selling and so on. 
Uh, and the other one at the end of the day is more to like calm myself down and get into a nice relaxed state and, and just take the evening in a relaxed manner and rest up essentially after, after a day of just a lot of work. I want to jump in there and say that I would encourage you to start conditioning your mind for what you're going to accomplish tomorrow when you're going to bed. When you're winding down, you can prep your mind for the results that you need tomorrow. And your mind will work on that while you're sleeping. It may not give you the exact answer you're looking for or whatever, but it will work on a problem that you want it to solve for tomorrow. Ask yourself certain questions that that you're wanting to know the answer to. I need to create a sales funnel for my client tomorrow. And then you can ask yourself, what are the best steps for my prospect to get through from beginning to end? You could have that question in your mind. And then when you wake up in the morning and when you go to work, your brain's been working on solving that question. Yeah. Daily rituals are powerful. And like you said, it's funny how counterintuitive that is, but a routine or a slash ritual is, has a lot of freedom to it, funny enough. It's definitely a lot of liberty once you have that ingrained. That is exactly right. I've told people this over and over again, and I've had so many people scoff at me and say, no, uh, you cannot find freedom, liberty, and creativity within routines. It's just not possible. You need to get rid of structure. You need to get rid of those things to be creative and all that stuff. Not true. And I've told people, just test me out. Don't believe me? Test me out for 30 days. Build a routine, a daily routine that you're going to follow every single day for 30 days. And tell me whether or not you're more creative at the end of that 30 days than when you started. And every single person who's ever taken me up on that challenge has come back and said, okay, you were right. I am more free. I am more creative. It opens up all this free time for me to do more things in my life because I I didn't realize how much time I was wasting not having a routine. And as soon as I put the routines in, I had more free time and more creativity in place. Yeah, it opens doors. And it's like a a physical manifestation of your mind management, if you put it that way. It gives a nice reality shape to it, at least for me in a way. Yes. Cool. Well, Tim, uh, this has been very informative, very valuable. I I like the five pillars. They make sense and they flow together. I like that because often I think when people talk about points about mind management, there's no cohesive structure to it. It's just a bunch of advice here and there. But the way beliefs work and self-talk, managing those beliefs and using willpower to get that spark going, tapping into energy cycles and having all that channel towards action, I think that's a good structure. It's a nice cohesiveness to it. Good. Yeah, and I hope uh, everyone listening is getting a ton of value from that too. I believe they will. All right, Tim, any any final thoughts on this? Any final remarks? Something you missed maybe before we close it up? No, I'm just going to be cheesy and tell people to believe in themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is a precious snowflake. <laughs> yes. You're, you're, you are unique, just like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that one. That's good. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a very great start to our uh, expert interview series. Tim, thank you so much for being on here. Glad we had this chat and glad we talked about mind management. It's funny how that actually affects, what percentage would you say? 80, 70, 90% of what you do every day is, is happening, happens inside your head? Probably greater than 90%. Yeah. Out of all the actions we take, there's hundreds and thousands of thoughts that we had before those actions were ever taken. 
Agreed. All right, Tim, thank you so much for this. It's been great. And I'll speak to you again soon.